up, internet, you gotta hit the bleeper. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I'm Shahir Dowd. There is no bleeper today. It's just strictly basement business. Oh, I love basement business. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Manchester by the Sea. Say it again. Manchester by the Sea. By the Sea. Manchester by the, by sea. the sea. Wait, now that... I feel Manchester like a by the sea. No, <laughs> Manchester by the sea. Arr. We're getting off topic. We have a special guest with us today, Shahir. We do? We do. Look Where? to your Where? right. Oh, my With God. Your other right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a fellow sister at arms from MTV here and one of our all-time favorite nasty women, <laughs> Julie Lillaby. Woo! Hiya. What's up? What's going on? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much. You were in Glad Rotterdam with us recently as well. I was. The Netherlands. Yeah, yes. you were in the Good Netherlands. Good times. Sadly, you were not around for our uh, our <laughs> moonlight review in the hotel room. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would have loved to have been in a hotel room with you guys, but, you know. Well, well actually, uh, <laughs> during we're in basement business now. We're in basement business now, and we won't talk about we won't talk about the 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 night after the oh, party. God. There was a Will ton we? of people in a hotel room. Guys, Should we talk guys. about that? No. Yeah. Um, uh, moving on. I, I was not there. No. Yeah. But, but you requested this movie. Yes, I did. So let this be a lesson to all the listeners out there. Oh God! If you know us, if you know us, and you request a movie, chances are you will be in this room with us if you live in New York. But I'm happy to be here. We're so happy to Yay. have you. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Of course. Um, for other people who want to get in touch with us and who want to request a movie with us. Sick you can, transition. I know you like Sick that. Sick transition, kid. Yeah, yeah, you like that? I'm going to go park my car in Harvard Yard. Don't, no. <laughs> oh, it's already no. starting. Uh, you know what's funny is I, my transition had no reason for being. But it was good. Yeah, well, now we talked about it too much. And, nope, and, uh, never can talk about those transitions too much. Now I feel this. awkward. Uh, <laughs> You can reach us for the look, look at this amazing banter you could be a part of. <laughs> you can it reach, goes nowhere. It but. goes nowhere. But if you want to be a part of it, re, you can contact us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or on our website at onlymoviepodcast.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Uh, or you good. can even leave us an iTunes review. That would be lovely. Well, that would be lovely. That's not really contacting us. That's just you, getting us praise. Listen, I guarantee you we'll, we we'll read it. it. We'll read that review. <laughs> we'll definitely read it. <laughs> we'll take anything you can give us. But we are we are very needy. Uh, actually, Matt, what do you think is the most controversial review we've ever done? Uh, Would oh, it be Beast controversial. Of no, Beast of No Nation, The Birth of a Nation, uh, any other film with Nation? Nation in it, uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you think the most controversial review we've done is? I mean, maybe Entourage? Entourage, yeah, definitely kidding. a lot of I people. Know. I don't know. Well, it turns out our Fantastic Beast episode got, uh, got us a lot of feedback about oh. how... How mugglish, I guess we are. Were we bad? We're how idiotic we are Julie. on the French. It turns out that Harry Potter is beloved by a lot of people. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Julie, did you know that? Uh, I did. Oh, shit. Because I'm you, wicked smart. Uh, wicked yeah, smart. yeah. There you go. There you go. But you just started reading the books as well, right? <laughs> I did. I just finished the first book. Was this in anticipation of seeing the Fantastic Beasts or was it just? No, I finally just was like getting on the bandwagon. Oh. It's about time, right? Yeah, 12 years late. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> so it turns out a lot of people. Uh, love Harry Potter and don't love what we have to say about the franchise. Well, that's just sad. <laughs> uh, people uh, I liked the movie. People threatening to, to leave us one star's reviews based on based on our opinion. I liked the I liked it. I said go see it. 
But uh, this is what Laura had to say, uh, who, who tweeted at us and then wrote us an email. Uh, hey, guys, love the Fantastic Beast episode, and I always love it when Jess is a guest. So, oh, shout out to Jess Tucker. Uh, Laura also requested us Nightcrawler much earlier, and so we've been looking for a guest for that, so maybe it'll be Jess again. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, but being a Harry Potter back, uh, book fan, I got to admit, there was a few times I was just there to, I, was, I wish I was there to offer some points on the novel side of things. You guys discussed how the movie had two different stories and seemed to change from Fantastic Fantastic Beast to Grindelwald and where he'll be in the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes on to explain how the Grindelwald story is really big in the Harry Potter universe and it's something that's always alluded to. And ah. she was really annoyed at the fact that the last two movies didn't elaborate on that. So, Oh, the last two before Beast. Yeah, the or last two the, Harry the Potter. The last two Harry Potter or Harry Potter 7, 1, and, one and two. 2. Yeah, I'm guessing we all know my feelings on 7A, which I think is a load of crap. Uh, but wow. so the promise... Uh, but Laura goes on, so that the promise of the wizarding history that we've always heard about will actually be, be explored now really excites me and brings it back to what I know and love from the original stories. Rather than rehashing a Voldemortish storyline and making a kind of Thanos situation, as you put it, but I totally understand without the proper context why it would come across like that to you guys. As always, love the podcast, uh, podcast so keep doing what you're doing. Okay, all right, no, that, okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah, she's basically saying, and maybe we should have had a book reader in the room. Well, not only that, but, but, Okay, I'm gonna put on my. Oh god! I'm gonna put on my Shahir hat for a second. Oh god! That is true. Terrible and, accent. And it by makes, the way. I, I'm not even gonna try to do your accent. Uh, that is all true. What she said, and thank you again for writing in. The the thing I think I have an issue with, just in specifically in Fantastic Beasts and the way they hand it's it's a the way they sort of handled the stories, sort of mixing and almost not mixing until the very end, and then also, um. This is a Shahir problem that he has with the Marvel MCU. I think MCU does this a little bit better because it does it uh, in a shorter or longer terminal. It does it a different time frame. Is I just want if it's that important, right? I want it to seem that important in the film that I'm making. And I understand it's the first one, right? But yeah, it just kind of comes perfunctory at the it, end of the movie. Because when when your when your movie's called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, that's what I my brain is sort of on. Like, oh, here's Newt. He's gonna do the shit. He's Wait, gonna, does he not find the beast? Oh, he finds a beast. Oh, okay, good. But we don't want to reveal any spoilers for Fantastic Beasts. Please go see the movie and then listen to our review for right. any spoilers there. But, but um, but there's 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 a secondary story which is apparently going to be the more important story throughout uh, the rest of these films. As and we've already alluded to. Yeah. So they're playing the long game. They're playing the happening. long game. They're but playing the franchise building. They're playing game. the yep. franchise building game, <laughs> yeah. but not in in uh, and maybe they do it better in the books. And it's great that they spread this throughout all of the original Harry Potter books. Um. But I was sort of told, especially even uh, even the advertisements for this film said a great place to start. Like if if you've never seen or done anything Harry Potter, this is a great place to start. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, because it's bef- a prequel. It's a prequel. I guess. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Anyway, uh, I I'm glad that there is context, and I'm glad that me- that that probably means that it will go in a better direction than I originally anticipated. So thank you for the information. I just think that they they could have made the level of importance, I guess, in the storytelling in the film sort of. Equal. You're supposed to have patience, Matt Curl. And this is, you, you've met me, right? <laughs> yeah. We've Sorry. we've worked together. You want immediate satisfaction? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Matt Crawl is a guy who's willing to sit through twelve Marvel movies to get. I was going to gonna say, like, yeah. I think it's all if just presented uh, correctly. It's subjective, right? right. So, yeah. thank you, Laura, for that email. Um, uh, Laura's, I believe, is from Australia, and we've been getting a, a lot of emails from Australia recently. Yay. So, we're not sure what's going on in Australia, but we're glad to have you on board. Keep them coming, because we all know Shahir is from New Zealand, <laughs> and that just makes me feel good. Yeah, well, I can tell you the long history, but no, I am <laughs> I I am a big fan of Australian cinema, and 
what I would love to do is talk about uh, a couple of my Austra- my favorite Australian movies at some point, if we could. If only you had a platform. If only I had a platform to talk about movies. Well, we are going to talk specifically about one movie. We've been dancing around it. Yeah, we're the only podcast talking about Manchester by the Sea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Julie, you so you specifically reached out to us and said, I really want to talk about this movie. Yes. Um, true. All true. I've seen it twice now in the theater. Ooh. Wow. Hey, I'm prepared. Yeah. Um, I think it's because it haunted me for days afterwards. Really? And I really wanted to talk about it with okay. anyone and everyone. Well, oh, we're, wow. we're here for you. Yay. Well, tell us how you how you sort, because this is not a widely released film at this point. Um, yes, But true. it is, it just won the National Board of Reviews Film of the Year. It's highly touted to be an Oscar contender this year. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah as uh, it should be. Uh, let's get into that. Wow. Uh, here we go. Um, <laughs> but so tell us, uh, tell us how you sort and what you, you know, what your general thoughts about it are, or if you knew any films by Kenneth Lonergan before that, or. I had, I had mm. seen You Can Count On Me. I yeah. love him. Uh, I love his writing style. Yeah. And I followed the uh, film festivals. So I had heard about it from Sundance yeah. at the beginning of this year. Wow, and a then lot of recognition there. TIFF. Yeah. And, you know, I pay attention for TIFF every year. Like, and then I'm like, okay, what's first? Yeah. And I kind of love Casey Affleck. Right. Kind of a fangirl about him. So, uh, Are you a big fan of The Assassination of J.C. James? I am. I love that movie and I think he's amazing in it. Yes. That's, it's one of my favorite Can I also say Gone Baby Gone? Gone Girl. Gone Baby Girl I, Gone. Which I know. Is what I, like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the two Ben Affleck movies. Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. yeah. Such a good movie. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. I think so, I, I would venture to say I think it's the best movie Ben Affleck's made. I agree. Yeah. Way better than The Town. Way better than The Town. And better, Argo. And uh, than Argo. Argo. Fuck yeah. yourself. No, I love Argo. Yeah. I love good. Argo. It's good, it's but good. Gone Gone Baby Gone is really good. Really good. Yeah. And, and it like stands the test of time. If you yeah. go, I've gone back and watched it recently, and it's still just as good. Yeah. Argo, Argo I think, is a very entertaining movie, but I, mm. it actually doesn't quite, it didn't hold up for me the first time I watched it, and it doesn't quite hold up. The second time I watched it. How does something it? not hold up the first time you watch it? We can isn't, pull- it isn't it sort of you need to watch it again to determine <laughs> no, if it holds up? No, I have up? a really specific thing about Argo, which is that we're not talking about Argo. but We are. We're but literally doing that here, right now. Here's the thing about Argo. <laughs> here's the thing about Argo is, is watching Argo, I felt that the storylines that they were presenting me were false, and, then, and that was verified. Like the the things that they actually did in the film were false. That's it fine. Felt very Hollywood. It yeah. never said. It, was, it never said this is a documentary. At the end of the film, they showed picture side by side pictures of the people that they were representing. Sure. And the thing is, is the story is so so different from what actually happened that it is kind of egregious. Is the story and, better? And, and and the problem. No, it's the problem is entertainment. Yeah. It, the, the problem is, it, it, and I have no problem with movies taking um, liberties with their story. I have no problem if you if you present me something false. The problem is, is that I watching it, I felt like this was false. Like I felt. Well, like technically, this was, that's just not you doing your research beforehand. What? Because Why? if you, you're saying you're saying it presented a a film that then. Felt to you as if it was false, so then you did your research, and then you realized it was false. And what I'm what I'm saying is, is that I didn't believe what had happened had happened. And and if the film had convinced me that that was what happened, I would have been okay with that. Because even if it wasn't true, what I'm saying is, even watching it, I didn't uh, feel like it like yeah. it like it happened. It felt that, sensationalized. Yeah, it felt yeah. like it, that like they were kind mm-hmm. of elevating the stakes beyond what they were. That's Argo. Yeah, uh, bottom line, Casey Affleck wasn't in it, so yeah. it's he's the better Affleck. And wow. So wow. Better Affleck. Yeah. Wow. I am a big Ben Affleck fan. I do like Ben Affleck a lot. You're going that. against Batman at this point. That's uh, that's clearly. dangerous. So you you you'd be you were curious about this film. Yes. You uh, out of Sundance, you'd heard about it at TIFF. You're a big yep. Casey Affleck fan. You'd seen You Can Count on Me. Yep. Um I didn't see Margaret, which is sad, but I've seen Margaret. 
And I heard it was so good, but because it went through such uh, yeah. issues with legal issues and that's cut in two different cuts, right? Yeah, the, for the for those who don't know, Kenneth Lonergan's second film, Margaret, or Margaret, I think it's pronounced correctly because it's based on some uh, Greek myth or something like that, um, went through, it took seven years for him to release the actual cut of that film. And he yep. fought with the studio for years because they released a a 90 minute cut of that movie in theaters very, very shortly. But then he released a three hour cut of that movie and the right. three hour cut was hailed as a masterpiece by critics, but it was never seen because it was never widely distributed. Yes. You can get it on Blu-ray uh, and I urge you to, to, to get it. Uh, I think Martin Scorsese went to bat for, for Kenneth Lonergan. It was a very... Yeah, little, I think he funded. I don't, I don't want yeah, to speak. Yeah, funded the huh. three hour he cut. He had something to do with getting that out, the director's cut out. So basically this is we're, the first... We're in a, we're in a post-truth world or post-fact <laughs> yeah. world, so we can, you say, can say whatever right. you want. Yeah, I'll say um, it here, it'll be true. Go, there's a New Yorker article about uh, the, the whole debacle around Margaret. Mm-hmm. Uh, it I is, read that. It's a very good article. Very good article. It's a ama- it, it is a remarkable movie. I've seen it. Um, and uh, I would urge everyone to see it. It is a long haul kind of movie, though. It is three hours. And it's it, so so it kind of has that epic length, but it's about small, intimate moments. So it's it's a kind of odd, odd thing. But I, it's one of those films that if you watch it in its totality, it has the effect I think it's designed to have. So. Manchester by the Sea. We're mm. now at the uh, the third Kenneth Lonergan film. What did you think? Or you know, I loved it. Um, I loved the structure of it mm-hmm. uh, from like the screenplay to also how it was told when how the story weaved in and out of past and present. I thought was just brilliant. Like it really pulls you in, and you're going along, not knowing as an audience why he is the way he is, and mm. then you get told slowly in pieces. I think it really added so much to it that it it actually then the anticipation you're feeling as you're learning about it then stays with you as a, like a, such a deep sense of, of mourning and tragedy and, ugh. Julie, Wonderful. I want to I want to come back to you, Matt. Could you tell us the, the synopsis of the film? Just so yes. We, so we, oh, uh, I have it right here. This is the IMDb <laughs> synopsis. An uncle is forced to take care of his teenage nephew after the boy's father dies. That's, <laughs> brief that's, that's brief br- and terrible. Brief and, and We always give IMDb shit. They do have a longer synopsis that they do right. Yeah, yeah. But I love the one to two sentence synopsis. It, they're wonderful. It kind of, you know what? Uh, but the, they always use the weirdest pronouns or the weirdest, yeah. the uncle. The boy. Yeah. The boy. <laughs> like, what? The, the, the. The synopsis actually sounds like, uh, what was that Todd McCarthy film, um, Win Win? Did you guys see that? About no. the, the guy who has to take over, um, uh, Paul Giamatti has to like look oh, after the a wrestling? wrestler. Yeah, yes, yeah, I it, never saw it. I heard it was brilliant, though. It kind of feels like that. And Todd McCarthy uh, directed Spotlight, which uh, Matt and I have a long history about. Mm-hmm. Wonderful film. Yeah, mm-hmm. It is an amazing film. Thank is it you. not? Thank I, you, Shahir. I, I feel ad- like this is going to be the only time we agree today. So. It possibly <laughs> is. I, I adore Spotlight, and I've watched that three times since uh, Matt and I have had our conversation. I love it more every time. I'll just say, yuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> By the way, just just curiosity, there's a there's a website that, that rates Truth in movies. Uh, Selma got a hundred percent accuracy. Whoa! Uh, and Spotlight got a ninety-one percent accuracy, okay. or something along those. Well, lines. I mean, look, I think, I think accuracy in a film is not the thing you should, unless it's a documentary. Mm-hmm be really 100% shooting for. It's great when it happens, but I don't think like the most accurate, although I haven't seen Selma. I've heard Selma's wonderful. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um, uh, But as far as Spotlight goes, uh, just because it's 91% accurate doesn't mean it's good. Like that's not, that's not a that's not a metric you can do. Listeners, go back and listen to our spotlight episode. Yeah. But Julie, uh, tell tell us. Okay, so you so you you were completely engaged with the the story. So the, so Casey Affleck plays this uh, gr- 
He's a janitor, and I was, I was, when I watched this, I kind of joked that this is like the second of uh, Matt Damon's janitorial trilogy. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even connect that. <laughs> oh, That's the janitor amazing. trilogy. What's going to happen next? First, he had the genius, then he had this like sunken person, and maybe the third one will be the space old space janitor. Space yeah, janitor. But it has to be a different person playing the space janitor. Do they have next. another brother? Uh, uh, no. Matt well, Damon has, is he an only child? Or is I don't he know. A- maybe Matt Damon could, I mean, I'd take it. Yeah, but yeah. but the but the interesting thing is this this film was going to be uh, directed by Matt Damon at one point, True. and he and jo- John Krasinski, yes. from uh, The Office fame, took the film to Kenneth Lonergan, and they were gonna they they pitched it to him. Yep, uh, as a screenwriter, as a screenwriter, and mm-hmm. they and they were gonna direct it. But it, at some point in the in the writing process, they kind of decided, well, Kenneth Lonergan was the person to direct. I think it. once right. he had finished it, yeah, they realized that this was wholly his, and he needed to be the person also taking the. The range. Which is kind of an amazing thing. It and, is. Then, and then they cast, and, and then, you know, they pretty much divorced themselves entirely from the picture apart mm-hmm. from taking a producing credit. Uh, I think Matt Damon had to do The Martian. So scheduling as far as acting, for, for the yeah. acting portion right. of it. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and so, which I think is kind of a fairly self, but then of course they, they brought in Ben Affleck's younger brother to play the film. Now that's not entirely unwarranted. I mean, no. Casey Affleck is a very- I mean, that's how ac- Hollywood works, right? Yeah. And, but he's a very accomplished actor. He is. Um, so- yeah, so it's about this this janitor who's kind of sunken away from the world, who's mm-hmm. who's very quiet. Um, he's removed. Entire- you can't tell why he's so removed at yeah. first. You know, you're going. He's going through his day without really connecting with any of the people he works on their apartments, right? Yeah, yeah. In a series uh, of in a series of very comedic kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the women hit on him. Like it's just so bizarre. And, and so and yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, and I was gonna say, and then he goes and you know, you see him drinking at the bar and he can't really like speak to that girl either. And then all but then all of a sudden he gets angry like mm-hmm. at the those two men, which I was very confused. I don't this is not really the point, but were they supposed to be a couple, those two men? I don't know. Was that relevant? Was that I don't know. I think, I think it was meant to sort of be. Um, was he was he homophobic in that moment? I think there was a. I think you were. It, that was one of the things, and we'll talk more about this when we get into sort of spoiler territory. But I think that was sort of one of those not misleading, but like okay, this guy's angry, but it's setting it up in a situation yes. where he could be angry at nine thousand different it's things, a red and you don't know right. what he's angry about. Right, you yeah. know he's angry, but you don't know right. why. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we'll we'll talk about that in uh, a moment. Jumping over to Matt, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I thought uh, as I look over my notes that it was free. you have to look at your notes to, to remember what well, you I, I, about wanna, I want to talk about what I, want, what I liked about it uh, obviously I liked it a lot and it was hard for me to separate um, opinions from basically like the actual content of the film and what what the film was versus how familiar it all felt to me I grew right. up in southern New Hampshire I went to school in Massachusetts uh, right outside of Boston I spent a, a shit ton of time in Boston mm-hmm. I don't know if my accent has ever come out on, we've talked about it before. We've talked about it, but like, um, I don't, I, I, I used to slip in and out of it a ton when I first moved to New York and mm-hmm. I've, I've sort of worked on sort of getting it more baseline because it, it does. When you get, get drunk, does it come out? Um, sometimes, but more so when I talk to my father. Oh uh, yeah. My girlfriend will be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like when I'm on the phone. Yeah. Uh, but no, like I knew like, God, almost every character in this film, I knew someone Exactly. Right. Like I was close with a couple people that were very similar and, and maybe they'd gone through a tragedy or maybe not, but like, it's just, it felt so much like home to me right. that the entirety of it just hit me like a fucking truck, uh, emotionally. And I went and saw it at the Alamo draft house. Again, uh, if, if you guys have you get a milkshake this time, no, no, no I, I just got a water, a okay. water. Damn it. Um, stop it. You did that on purpose. No, I didn't. Uh, so 
Uh, and it was a great movie going experience. Uh, I, and I will say if you're in Brooklyn, go to this fucking theater. Like it was the clearest I'd fucking seen a movie. Like I just, the opening shot of them on the boat or Did whatever. Did they just reopen that or something? They just opened it Got here. It. This is the first one in I New York. I saw it pop up on Fandango and I'm like, what is this theater? I don't know if it's just cause it's new projectors or this movie was shot so well, but like it, the first image came up and I was like, I'm home. Well, well it, no, it felt, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but the cinematography it was, was wonderful. It was amazing. Wonderful. And I know a lot of people, um, some people that sp- spoken to, uh, had an issue with the score and not so much the score, but how it was used. Oh, really? I thought a, the score was beautiful and B yeah. the moments that they used it, uh, especially the ones where it ju- sort of juxtaposes where you feel like it should be. Exactly. I was like, this works wonderful. Yeah. Um, cause you would jump between pop, current classic. pop and classic music. I yeah. thought that was brilliant. Thomas, uh, Albin- Albinoni. Uh, and and then the timeline jumping, Julie, that you sort of talked about, it was so funny because when it started happening and when I sort of realized what was happening, I, <laughs> this is not the movie's fault, but I was like, oh, they're Westworlding it. I'm like, this is what they're doing. Oh, I haven't seen that oh, yet. It's, it's, all, it's like three different timelines and it jumps and uh, you never know which timeline you're in. So I don't know. Da, I just, da, da, da. No spoilers. No spoilers. It, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's you'll, it's very clear. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was also clear, though, because back to Casey Affleck, I thought that <laughs> he, should we always do that? Um, he, uh, he was such a different person immediately in the in the past scenes. Like ha- you could yeah. just feel yes, like he was lighter. Knew. No, you yeah. knew this right. was much more clear than Westworld's time jumping was. But I was just that was just something right. that I was like, oh, this is a thing now. Uh, it she- does seem trendy, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Shahir, buddy. So you're going to be the villain. (laughs) Well, one thing is, is that Matt texted me right before I was about to walk into this movie. I poisoned him. And he was like, I love this movie. It's so good. It's amazing. And I was like, okay, cool. And the last time that happened was- Why did you do that? The last time that it happened- (laughs) It's all part of the plan, Julie. Just uh, let it go. Was was the movie Moonlight, which I 100% agreed with him. I I walked out of that movie completely flabbergasted, and I thought this was an incredible film. Um. And I'm, I might have been a little tired, but I. the thing is, uh, so yeah, I've seen, uh, you can count on me, I've seen Margaret. Uh, I think he's an amazing writer, uh, an amazing director as well. I And so I was kind of primed for this movie to be good, and obviously there was a lot of hype around it. For me, uh, the problem is, is that I was a little unmoved by the film. I think, I think it's structurally all there. Like, I think all the moments that are supposed to hit did kind of work for me. But ultimately, I think, my my issue with this film is that it essentially plays one note and it plays that note really, really beautifully, which is that it is a film about grief, but it is, it is a singular vision about grief. And I felt that, that, that story of grief didn't really go anywhere for me to, to really, to really kind of move through this movie. I, 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 Again, Casey Affleck is very good in this movie. The writing is very good in this movie. Michelle Williams is great in this movie. I love Kyle Chandler when he pops up in this movie. I think... What about a, Matthew Broderick? Do you like Matthew Broderick? I do, Matthew Broderick. Like, Dude, people in the theater started laughing when yeah. he came on. Well, that's the, that's the gimmick now. Even in Fantastic Beasts, people have a visceral reaction to Johnny Depp. Uh, yeah. Like, this thing is just like... It's, well, the thing is, Matthew Broderick's been in all of, of Kenneth Lonergan's films. So oh, crazy. You'd know that if you knew that, but people... I mean, I could see people like, and what the fuck? Like, but, but what? Why can't Matthew Broderick be in a movie? 100% can, right. but the problem is when you're so recognizable and you take a bit part, it is just, if you're deep in the movie, you don't see, hey, new character I'm going to be introduced to. You see, oh, Matthew Broderick. Wait, well, Matthew Broderick's in this movie? I didn't know that. Did he? Was that announced? Okay, wait, yeah. and I'm well, back. Well, let me put it to you this way. In Margaret, uh, Margaret, uh, Margaret? Uh, Matt like Damon a, is in that pizza. movie and he's not advertised for being in that movie at all and he's got a big part in that movie but he pops up out of nowhere and I and bet you people are like oh and I bet you it takes people out of it I'm a just second. saying it takes a second to just, just be like okay it doesn't break anything yeah. I'm just saying there is that 
disjointed moment of I'm in the story. Crap, an actor I recognize. Okay, wait, I'm back. Like, right, right, right. and he's also sometimes like he's a caricature of himself. Like Matthew Broderick is known as a certain type of he's, thing. He'll never quite break Ferris Bueller, yeah. even though yeah. he's a very accomplished actor. And he was good in this in yeah, the small party he had. He's yeah. really great. And they also did a weird thing with the camera where they like purposely <laughs> panned him. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. last in that scene, and you're like, oh, hey, <laughs> so I, I generally I. I think it's all there, but this is one of those cases where I think I feel like the hype isn't quite to me. The hype didn't quite live up to what the movie actually was. And I, I just found that I wasn't that moved by the whole story. There's an interesting um, there's an interesting I don't agree with this, by the way, but there is an interesting article going around uh, a review uh, at, a, uh, at the New York Times of this film which gets into a conversation about white privilege and, mm-hmm. and towards the end of it. And I, and I was kind of like, hmm, I wonder if that's the thing that's bothering me, but I don't think, I don't think it is because I didn't. What's the thing. What's the discussion? Yeah. Well, the discussion is, is that, the, well, we should talk about it in the spoilers, but there's a question of, of, you know, that this is a, uh, a community. If I'm paraphrasing the thesis of that article, it is that, that Casey Affleck's character has chosen, uh, a, basically moving into, the working poor from from a well-established working middle class and and the idea because he's become a base he's become Julie and I both did the thing that like animals do when they're confused yeah. we did huh? like the head turn huh? and the eyes up well, cuz I didn't read it that way he was it, never he was never I like, thought he was always he was class. always working class no, but yeah. yeah yes he's always working class but he's moved into the working poor you know like like he's, he's punishing himself he's like as as a form of punishment okay and the thing is is that the article points to is that the that the you know like yeah he doesn't think the idea is that these people never believe that they're anything but middle class, you know, like they're, they're middle class people, but they own homes, they have boats, that sort of thing, you know? So the article kind of gets into, and there is one very specific thing that I did kind of like, I think I felt it when I watched it. I don't necessarily agree with the full thrust of the New York Times. We can talk about when we get to it. Just call it out. Yeah. I think you'll, everyone knows what I, I don't. uh, Yeah. I'm not following. But don't say it yet. Okay, we get so, there so I don't, but I don't necessarily because I, I have a thing which is that don't review the film that you want to see, review the film that you actually saw. And I think you know, again, for me, the the problem isn't necessarily that the the thing that the New York Times article built, uh, built up. The problem for me is that I think this film has has one note about grief, and it's a very interesting note, and it's a very powerful note, and it's played very very beautifully, but it doesn't move beyond that in a way that I think is compelling. What other, what other notes would you want it to hit? So because I have, I have a theory about the grief thing, but I was curious, what else would you want that if you could make this movie better, what mm-hmm. would you do? So the thing, and why does it need to be? It doesn't, oh, we'll get, it we'll doesn't need, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. If it, if it works for you guys, then that's fine. And, it, and obviously this is working for a lot of people. I'm saying for me personally, but I want to know how to make it work for you. So the one thing that I was sort of, I was never really clear about was, Casey Affleck's, um, his name's uh, Lee Chandler. Yep. Uh, his sense of who he was at the moment of devastation. Like, I felt like he, there's a single moment in this film, which we will only reveal in spoilers, that that reveals... Um, why he is the way he is. Why he is the way he is. And I didn't really get a sense of the transformation that happened at that moment. I felt like he just kind of took, he just became that character who he is very, very suddenly. And it wasn't too far from who he was to begin with. Um, I so thought the exact opposite. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, we might, I thought there was a moment where you all of a sudden realize, 
oh, okay, this all makes sense. Everything he's done before, everything, all of his actions, like his fighting and his being disconnected, they all come into light. And you also mm-hmm. can tell that he was so much, he was, there's such a weight on him right. that you see kind of develop. You see the weight develop. I, I think the thing is, is there that was I, no weight on him before. He, he was kind of, honestly, yes. he was the he life was, of the party. He was the life of the party and kind of like, and again, it's not that these people, I, I know people, I, I grew up with people like this, but like, if you peel back the layers of life of the party, like, like you're an alcoholic, yeah. like yeah. you're not oh, doing he had things issues. right. Like yeah. there's a ton of like, but yeah. like, so that sort of transformation for me, I mean, just, I don't know. Well, again, but it's no, hard to talk I, about. We'll I get can, it I can it. see how it could work. I just, I didn't, I didn't really, I never really connected with that transformation. I never really connected with the idea that there's also another scene later on in the movie where he reconnects with his wife, uh, with his oh. ex, you know, and yeah, oh, that street scene, Lord help us. Uh, it's a very, very good scene, but I also felt like I didn't have enough context and I didn't feel like there was much that happened for him at the end of that scene. I'm no. trying not to give away spoilers. Fun, fun fact. And I'll talk about it when we hit that I scene. I've had, it. I've yeah. had that moment happen in my life before out of the fucking blue. Yeah. In in basically a town were- exactly fucking like that. Like it's it's you're trying it, so hard to avoid someone and I know. then they just appear it's out of nowhere. It's uncanny. But yeah. anyway, I, maybe, so so maybe. so it might it might be there on a second viewing. I do agree that this is a very powerfully made film, and I think the writing is very very good. I just found that the whole milieu of everything by the time I got to the end frame, I was going. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I can, I've heard other people say this, so yeah. I can understand. Yeah. I just kind of, when people say it, I feel sad for you because <laughs> I, I might be dead inside. Yeah. You <laughs> might have no soul. I've no. said all of those things before. <laughs> yeah. I just want you to, I want you to feel that because I just thought it was so well done that, yeah. that I felt. Trust that me. Story. I've certainly felt that in movies. And one thing is that is that I'm always looking for is that. Right. Um, I just didn't think that that was here for me in this movie. And fair, fair mm-hmm. enough. So something you said about um the 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 working class and the sort of uh and would you call it inherent not race uh what was it uh i the or the article said it the article was talking about white, white privilege, privilege. Mm-hmm. uh something and, and also the, can we say white male privilege hey yes hey. uh well the, Nazi I, woman in the uh, room uh, yes, <laughs> this is this is the this is the other thing too uh and this is sort of a weird i don't know how big of an elephant in the room it could be a very baby elephant but we had talked about birth of a nation and nate parker's whole trial and tribulation about just right. his accusations oh, are we bringing of things. up casey affleck's we, past? we kind of have to because we do. If, if because if we're going to talk about nate parker the way we, we had to talk about nate this parker. is also it's it's a very fucking similar and and even to the point well, of it's not very similar. Well, I'm not, not, not oh, saying okay. the situation, it's but I'm the, saying we don't care about the actual the point we want to make here is we don't care about the actual details of what the happened. case. Right. But what we want to talk about is the way in which the case becomes part of the narrative of the film. Of the film, yes. not in the film, but around the, the film. film. And is it unfair that clearly somehow it's sliding off of Casey Affleck and yeah. it did not slide off? I mean, of this is Nate and, and, yeah. and, and, and that was my point. So for those that don't know, uh, Nate Parker uh, was accused of. Uh, was it sexual sexual assault sexual assault and then was then uh acquitted acquitted whereas this is and this is i think in 2010 this happened with casey affleck he was accused of sexual harassment Mm. and he settled yes with Uh, two women with two women and there's tons of sort of proof i mean there's witnesses and like all this other shit and blah 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 blah. so but he vehemently denies it which i find very very interesting choice of words again we don't we're we're not we're not interested in the actual actual interesting thing about it is now because and and an article i was reading uh says this thing about because casey affleck is now surrounded by ben affleck and matt damon reporters 
don't bring up oh, that's completely the it. other stuff because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are right there. They're not going to be like, hey, Ben, your brother did this 10 years or five well, years ago. And he's and also and just so much more protected as a, as a person yes, in Nate, Hollywood. That, Nate, Nate Parker, Parker was. wasn't, yes. wasn't quite as protected. He wasn't as established. He now, doesn't have the I PR people. You know? Again, again, we're, we're, yeah, we're we, don't, we, we don't know because we don't want to litigate those cases and we don't want to yes. pretend like we know enough about those stories to, to talk about But we about don't want to ignore... The same, the past, it's and the also, same. I mean, this is the 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 day after um, Bernardo Bertolucci came. You know, it was revealed that Bernardo Bertolucci uh, uh, may have instigated and supported the rape of a woman in one of his films, uh, "The Last Tango in Paris" by Marlon Brando. This is a story that's developing right now, where they basically said that there was a scene where a rape was involved, and they basically did it. They raped her. They yep. raped her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I know. And so no, the the I guess again, we're not you know, like talking about the details of that case because it's, you know, like there's a lot of, uh, we don't know who's telling what right. and, and we want to avoid the litigation story. But, but the thing is, is that we have to have that conversation about art from artists. And we had this conversation about Roman Polanski, about Woody Allen. So do we include that conversation? Is it fair to include that conversation about Casey Affleck in the milieu of this film? And does it, if, if we, for example, if, if we knew definitively that that was the case and he was guilty of whatever, does it change our frame of reference uh, for the way we, in which we view this film? It didn't for me. And, and as a it, woman, it, it didn't. And it doesn't for me. And it's funny because I feel like as opposed to being acquitted, uh, acquitting versus settling, one is admitting guilt and paying money for it. Like, and the other one is not. So to have it, well, you know. Well, technically settling is not admitting guilt. Is it not? No. So we well, don't believe that Trump uh, University was uh, defrauding <laughs> no, no. people. But like, maybe not legalized, like, and that might be a nice way of doing it, but like, no one's paying money well, if they're 100% innocent. True. No, but no. also, he like people pay money to get away from it so they don't have to reveal the truth, I think is right. the actual... Right, so yes, the there's one step it. away from admitting. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But, I, you know, like... <laughs> We we did we we had to temper our whole conversation of yes. preservation around that you know around the elephant in that room. Um, I I the thing the difference there is that was difficult was that we what, oh I, yeah yeah it, what felt apparent was that the, the 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 way in which that birth of a nation story was coming about felt like it was a PR um, move to try and sabotage the movie. I feel like it yeah. was interesting. Because, well, also, well, think about it this way: that case happened over. 20 years ago yeah. mm-hmm. and and Nate Parker has been an actor for that entire time. And no the same thing with like Selma. Isn't there some theory that um what's his name? Mm-hmm. Harry uh mm-hmm. Weinstein, is that his name? Harvey. Yep. Harvey, Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. um sabotaged Selma. There uh, I mean there's some sort of that, like story that's the out thing. there. We, anyway. we, we we're all part of the what's it's important to note is that is that <laughs> post truth is that there is a PR you know a PR narrative and I, and I guess yeah. what's interesting in the case of of Manchester by the Sea although Although it is starting to come out, is that there's this notion that that there is a there might be a PR battle against Casey Affleck in this case. Well, here's the interesting part. And this is after I read the article, sort of comparing these two things and how no one's talking about the Casey Affleck thing and everyone's talking about the Nate Parker thing. The, I I do think there is obviously Casey's more protected, but also while it is a, an I feel an unjust attack on or not a, I don't know how to put it, but like it's it shouldn't affect the the movie itself. I feel like. Um, Birth of a Nation is more affected because that entire movie is Nate Parker. He wrote it. He directed it. He started it. Like that whole thing is his. Per- that's him. It's right? also. It's also. Whereas Casey Affleck in this is just the lead actor. Absolutely. Um, but I, I, also, I think that's why it 
it I didn't and initially you don't see Casey Affleck when you're watching this movie. Like I can separate mm. the artist in a movie from the man. Right. right. So I'm not going to put him on a pedestal as a man. And I'm always going to bring up this possible past issue. Right. 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 But I'm going to see that movie knowing that he's good and a good actor. And I want to see that story the way it is without that. Michael Jackson had a lot of good music. Uh, same. And Tiger, but, but, Tiger Woods is still a great golf player. But but the thing is, but the, a terrible the, man, probably. The <laughs> other reason that I think that the, the reason we, we kind of think about frame it differently is that is that. I do inherently think Birth of a Nation wasn't a great movie. Yeah. That's and this, the issue, right? And this That's... is a more of a prestige film. So we're more, I think the reason we're willing to do that, play this game, is that we're more willing to forgive good art than we are to... to and you, to, don't want yeah. to take, you don't want to take down the whole ship, right? Mm. Because Kenneth Lagerman is such a, such a great writer and the screenplay is so great and everyone else is so great. But is that, so is that fair? I don't, is, I don't know. Is that fair? Well, only because, only because this isn't, this isn't lauded as... Casey Affleck did everything in this fucking move. Like he's the, he's but he actor. is, but he, he is like he's a big part of it, but he's not every, he's not 90% of it. The advertising is not like, maybe it's that's just it. him. Like maybe it's the, the marketing. That's the, the issue. The, oh, I, I think marketing is always, the issue. Yeah, I remember this is all PR. I, yeah, I, it is. I think, I think it's worth mentioning yes. this whole topic and then moving and then on. We can move on. Yeah. So let's talk, let's go into spoilers. If we're, if we're, if we're happy with that. the whole movie is spoilers. So we got to move on. To all right, here we go. <laughs> so the movie opens up and we see uh, a young Lee, um, Chandler and uh, a boy on a boat with someone else driving. It turns out to be his shock. older brother's Joe, yeah. and they're doing this whole these whole jokes about how he's going to throw him in the water and have the sharks get him. Uh, and <laughs> it's, it. you kind of get this feeling of like, oh, this is um, you know, this is sort of a a, a loving family unit, and mm -hmm. like everything's mm -hmm. all good. And then you cut to the janitorial stuff that we were talking about before. And again, the way this movie time jumps, it doesn't like announce that it's time jumping. Not it's right very away. yeah, it's very like this could be any time, and we don't quite mm -hmm. understand. And then eventually you start. But getting you feel the that it's different. Something's yeah. different. Yes, right. Yeah. So he's going through. Uh, Lee Chandler is now um, he's uh, basically an unappreciated handyman in Quincy. Uh, and again, oh, locations of this movie for me personally, I've been to, I've partied, I've been to all, mm -hmm. nearly almost every place in this movie. So I'm just like, God damn it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all true. Mm -hmm. Um, and, As, uh, but for someone who isn't from there, it still felt very universal. I'd like to add. That. Okay, good. No, yes. no. no and, and that's, that's, I'm glad. See, I can't say that. Right. You can't see through that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shahir, was it like how you grew up? Is it like uh, New Zealand? It's exactly like New Zealand. Um, we run through the snow uh, yeah. in our Hobbit outfits uh, yeah. exactly the same way as they did in this in movie. Your Hobbit outfits. <laughs> it's so. the farthest from home you've ever been. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, apparently uh, Lee ignores a woman who's kind of, well, not ignores. What She like, she's. He doesn't acknowledge that it happened. Well, no, what was it? The so woman's like, okay, so you got to fix the shower. He's like, well, I could run the shower. And oh, that woman. I yeah. thought you meant the initial woman who hits on him. So there's a woman who hits on him, or kind of hits on him, but like says something like she's attracted to her handyman but over the phone that, in the other room. she does that purposely loud, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love that. And I, what I love about that is this idea that she she treats him as a lower class person than he, than she is. Yes. You know, like, like I can have this conversation where, and she says over the phone, I think I want to fuck my handyman. Yeah. And he's like standing like in the Like he next, isn't yeah. there. And, and he's also at the exact same moment, like trying to fix her toilet. Which oh, he's, is, yeah, he's taking her shit. his hands. Which is full of shit yeah, and she's like this him. is so gross and like there's this kind of sense of well he might still have sex with me and I love the, I love the line that comes out at the end of this can I give you a tip and he's like what do you mean like a suggestion yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he has no idea where this is going like he's standing but there like Ugh. the the what I what I actually did really like about this movie was those kinds of like awkward conversations that happen and conversations where like 
it kind of goes, they go off the rails in a way that's very unmovie-like. It, you know, it's very real. It like, feels so real. Yeah, every, every sort of- I don't of, know if it's real. It feels written to me, but it's very unmovie-like. I like, just, I thought I it felt, all felt so conversational and like real-worldy to absolutely. me. Like every and little even, bit of like nonsense. And all the like little mistakes, right? Like the phone isn't working. Like yeah. His cell phone isn't you working. You can't hear him. You can't hear him. I or don't like, know, all these you moments. Know, or um, uh, are we going to get, okay, let's just do this. Yeah, you get out the car. And uh, and like you know, he opens the door and the and and Casey Affleck decides to accelerate at that moment. He's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. you said we we're going to go." Right. It's just like this. They can't uh, find the car, you know, after yeah, the yeah. after the funeral. The, home. the thing is, is like having made films, you know, like that is the kind of thing that you know, like you can't just. They all feel like se- scenes that are accidents, you know, like like those things shouldn't happen. Right. But they, in order for them for you to make those, you have to write those scenes. You have to block those True. scenes. So, yeah. so it's kind of amazing that the, the film is filled with accidents that they've kind of planned and out. And they feel natural. And, the, and again, I have to mm-hmm. go back to the, the, if grief is the overall sort of umbrella that this movie is, all of these things, like when the cell phone's not working or when he accelerates and his nephew's in the car and they like don't leave the thing you just talked about, or even when they can't find the car, like these are all everyday annoyances that happen to real people. But when you're in a state of grief, it is so fucking exacerbated where mm-hmm. like that's a huge fucking thing because you're on the edge of sort of your emotional cliff or whatever you want to do totally. and the tiniest thing is going to just make you blow up so like I do feel like showing these moments in this particular sort of uh, grief umbrella hashtag grief umbrella um, I think we're, was very powerful I think we've got a title for this episode I, I, I also would like to add though that I think like because as you're amongst tragedy you also realize that life also just goes on oh life don't give a fuck it doesn't stop yeah. you know like the car won't open like he can't get the car to unlock and you know Lucas still wants to Lucas that's not his name that's his real name Patrick still wants (laughs) to like have sex you know right (laughs) so we'll get to who Patrick is and why he's boning Um, but no so he boning uh, basement basement business basement business Um, so Lee gets word over the phone uh, that his older brother uh, Joe uh, who is played by uh, what the coach Kyle Chandler Kyle Chandler He can once, get it. I once sat next to him. He can play. get it. He can get it? Wait a minute. <laughs> what can he get? What can he get? Uh, <laughs> like Insert name that here. Okay. That's fine. Uh, I once sat next to him on a plane and everyone was like really- Did you give it to him? I did give it to him. Oh, okay. I gave it to him he got, hard. He got it. Julie, he got he it. He got some New Zealand is he what got, he got. Yeah. Oh, wait. Was he supposed to give it to me or was I supposed to give it? Because uh, that is- That's your choice. Yeah. I might have misinterpreted that whole scenario. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but Casey, anyway, also, Casey Affleck can also get it in that janitor outfit. <laughs> so, so you, <laughs> you really put yourself in the shoes as he's like grieving. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. yes oh, he's please. in pain. Let's. Yeah. This is the yes. perfect time. Um, Sorry, off track. <laughs> so he drives back. Lee drives back to Manchester. Uh, and <laughs> to, to take care of the arrangements and whatnot. Uh, and then sort of a couple flashbacks here let us know that Joe, his brother, had heart trouble and was only going to live for a few years anyway. So this was not, uh, he'd been in and out of the hospital. This was not an unforeseen thing. It's just like, oh, fuck, it just hits when it hits. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe's wife was kind of a basket case. There's a scene in the hospital that she's just like, and maybe grief is affecting her in a different way too. But apparently as the story goes on, you learn that Joe's wife had a bunch of issues of her own and she was not handling this very well. And then also that Lee is now far away and kind of distant from this family than the opening scene on the, on the boat was very like he was a part of. Mm -hmm. So he drives back to Manchester and uh, we see, uh, we meet uh, a teenage Patrick, his nephew, which is the sort of, this kid does a great job. What was his name? His real name is Lucas Hedges. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. First of all, shout out to Lucas Hedges because he fucking killed it. Now, again, I don't know. This is one of those things where he's a teenager, right? 
Mm-hmm. So maybe he just plays a teenager real fucking well. Right. But it's in his wheelhouse. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this is not, he's not stretching that much, but he does it brilliantly. He does. Um, and to the point where my friend was like, I didn't really like him. He was kind of awkward. And I was like, that, yeah, that is, is the exactly point. the point. Yep. So it, you find out basically. Shout out that, to Kate, by the way. <laughs> she saw this movie. With uh, he, he and Lee uh, sort of have a bond, even if Lee doesn't quite know how to act around it. They've been very close uh, for Patrick's entire life. Right. right. It's uh, clear and, that they're family. Yes. Right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, people in town, it seems like once Lee's back in Manchester, they seem to know him, but like he's back for a couple of days. He's trying to pick Lee up some, Chandler. yeah, he's kind of trying to pick up work and like, no one wants to hire mm-hmm. him. And you're like, what the fuck? And you well, overhear someone be like, the story's not true. Yeah. Right. Like there's all these hints as to what, what happened. Well, the picking up work thing comes up after there's a revelation that, that, that kind of center, you know, centers around what this film's about, which is that, that his brother has left custody of the child to him. Right. Yes. 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 Um, uh, which brings up the big moment of the film. Well, kind of, sort of. So they're back. Yes. Uh, basically, they make the rounds, and Lee and Patrick, uh, this is even before that they go to the lawyer's office. They, like, they're doing all the funeral arrangements, and it's just like he's in town for a couple of days at this point, and that you're like, you basically see these beautiful interactions between Lee and Patrick. Um, like, like a comedy duo. Yeah, yeah, but like a real life family comedy duo. Like this, all of it hits so fucking close to Yeah, home. And yeah. even for someone who's not from yeah, there, yeah. I'd like to keep adding. Uh, and please do, because that's all I'm going to be saying the entire time. Uh, and then they butt heads a lot, but it's sort of like these really nice, like real endearing and loving sort of ways that I've seen in, like on screen in, in a while. Like, mm-hmm. And again, I'm glad to hear, Julie, that you're saying like this is a thing that feels real anyway, because I didn't know in the moment, if that was because it was a New England thing or a human thing. I think it's a family thing, a human family thing that you, you take out on your family, whatever you, you yell at them. You're you, they see every emotion. Yeah. Right. right? Uh, And right before we go to the attorney to go over Joe's will, we kind of see a flashback of Lee with his previous wife played by Michelle Williams. Uh, She was Jen on Dawson's Creek. Was that She was Jen. That was her first thing. I'm always going to remember Dawson's Creek first because it came on after Buffy. Um, Jen was by the way, like the worst character. Was she? I don't even, I I watched season one and two. So was Joey. The whole thing was kind of, Oh no, you watch it now. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the only podcast it. about Dawson's Creek. Uh, no. <laughs> you heard it no, here first. No. <laughs> um, so uh, you find out that like at some point, and you don't know why it's not like this anymore at this point, Lee was married to Randy with an I mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. three kids. I had to look that up. Two yeah. daughters. Before I came on here. <laughs> two daughters and a baby son, I yeah, want to say. Yeah. A little handsome little boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we learned that and then... It seemed like it was going well at that time. Which, but obviously allowed, something happened. Are yeah. we allowed to talk about each scene? Like, can I talk about yeah, that scene? Yeah. I just felt that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, so I felt that in those, that scene was so short, but in that, in that small amount of time, you immediately know who these people are yeah, and what their a- relationship is, who Michelle Williams character is. I, mostly because Michelle Williams is brilliant, obviously. Yes, she's very good. And so I just felt like uh, that bedroom scene just kind of solidifies everything that's then going to come, right? Because right. So he comes home, he's a little a very, bit he's very, a little bit wasted. She's sick. She's yeah. been taking care of the kids, but he comes home and the kids all love him. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, I, 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 he does one thing now that I'm a dad that, that, that I kind of like just really like, it's a big no-go zone, which is like, she's just put the baby down and he picks the baby up and yeah. I'm like, you dick. Yeah. You don't 
pick up that fucking kid. You yeah. put him down. He's like, right so you picked him up. He's not crying. It's fine. Yeah. I'm good that's, at this. That's yeah, exactly. how you know he's like the fourth no, but, child. Yeah. But like, he's not really that adult when he's- No, yeah, yeah. that's that's exactly it. He's a yeah. grown man child. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's like, how many beers did you have? At, she, he know? calculates he it. Yeah. He's like, well, it was over a seven hour period, yeah. so- 1.73. 1. 1. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> repeating, repeating, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a, that is a really, really good scene. And it is, and I remember the thing about the the kind of structure of the film is that there is something I do want to say, which is that I think Kenneth Lonergan as a writer is a is an exemplary writer. He's a magnificent writer. Uh, but I think as a filmmaker, his um, his blocking of scenes and his scene construction can be a little bit clumsy. And I don't know if it's purposely clumsy. Was it in this one? You, you saw yeah, it? in okay. this one as well. I, I mean, there are scenes where like... Um, they're like the way in which uh, the the first scene where he goes to the morgue to find you know to like explain what's happened to his brother is just really clumsily kind of cut together back and forth. Wait, when uh, he's actually looking at the body or the one where he's standing in the hospital? Well, where, where, he he's finds one, out? where he's standing in the hospital. I, yeah. I, I thought the, the standing scene, in the hospital. The scene, well, the scene in the with the morgue, which is just a single take, is beautiful. It that is. is really stunning. I, think, I agree. I think, th- and I took it as anyway. The scene where he gets to the hospital and he's with his friend. Um, I forget the friend's name. George. George. Um, he was wonderful too in the film. He was. Uh, it's him and the doctor, and a doctor that's not like the normal doctor. The normal doctor is on sabbatical, no, on, on a maternity leave. It's weird because they twins. all know each other. They all know, that's but what that's, that scene establishes, yeah, right? They all know each other, but like, I liked the way it was awkwardly sort of um, staged, staged yeah. because in those moments of of like. Oh fuck! Like nothing's real until he walked into that hospital. Like he knew it. We have. I mean, I don't know what everyone's been through, but like you get to those points where you're like, and then when it hits you and it's real, like no, time doesn't seem like in real life it's moving correctly. You're just sort of sort of going through the right. moments. You don't know where to it's, stand, and you don't know where yeah. to stand. You don't know how to act. There's no there's no proper social etiquette for those moments. Right. So I thought it. I thought the awkwardness that that this these scenes were filmed in when these moments of high sort of tension in that regard felt very like made me feel the the most a film or a scene at least scene work can make someone feel to get that sort of across right right the only i guess the only thing i would say is that i mean there is there is a a thing about that scene which is that they all knew that the brother was going to die eventually and and so there is a so there there's a there the thing that's awkward when you're watching it for the first time is that you don't really understand why that is. And so he's responding. Why they're all so calm. Why they're all so calm. And you don't actually, you don't quite understand the relationship between people at this point. You don't, you know, like, like, why does the doctor know? Why yeah. does he? Why does Casey have the characters Lee know a doctor that is? And you don't there? know who he's talking about. No, as you well. do. You do know because there's the, the flashback in the hospital. That doctor is there. But that you, you haven't seen that flashback. You, you haven't seen you that you flashback. Had, he has that flashback while he's driving up. He's in the car, and that flashback happens. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I don't. No, I think because I because rec- I was like, is when that the hospital no. scene maybe split then? Because there's a big there's there's a, a scene. No, because he goes into the elevator of the hospital, and then we see the scene of the flashback with Kyle Chandler, where we yeah. find out that he's going to die. When he initially dies in the, in the hospital, the, you yeah. haven't met. You don't. You don't know Kyle Chandler. Dr. Bethany. I could have sworn it was the other way around, but no, I'll no, take no. it. Yeah. No, because it happens the because the, the way the transition happens is he's he gets into the elevator, the door oh, closes. goes to the morgue. No, he's going to the he's going to the morgue. The door closes, and then we see the flashback with Kyle Chandler okay. and I remember the thing was was I remember when I was watching and I was like have I missed a scene because like right. suddenly we're like who are we talking about here because when he initially arrives in the hospital he asks where's Dr. Bethany Yeah, and, and she says she's on maternity leave right. and you don't know as an audience like why does he know Dr. Bethany exactly because you don't know yet that he the oh, brother maybe I just took it or I built it around in my brain that way because in again in and mm-hmm. in, in sort of not that Manchester's a small town but like 
you've experienced this before. <laughs> but but like in a way, like you kind of you're when you're in that, that sort was some of shade. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mister. In New Zealand, it's like this every fucking episode. One movie comes out. One. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just said that you blended this whole thing in your brain because you lived there. No, well, I was getting to it, and then you gave me shade, and I had to fight back. What I'm saying you is, you didn't see that I had shade. Julie had to point it out. To I know because I was he just making kept a moving point. along happily. Yeah, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Anyway, um, go ahead, Matthew Kroll. Uh, so no, I think just because I took that moment as, oh, this is a small knit community and everyone just sort of knows everyone. And the fact that a doctor is not there who probably was dealing with this beforehand, that adds to the awkwardness of like, oh, here's two or three, like two family or a guy, a friend of the guy, an orderly who, or a nurse who knows the family inter- intimately and this other doctor that's random. So that mm-hmm. ratchets the randomness up and you're just like, okay, I don't know how to be human right now. But it, it, it all leads to the fact that, that, that they have no, you know, like uh, the brother played by Kyle Chandler has, has congenital heart disease, which is a degenerative disease yep. and is going to die eventually. They basically find out, well, you've got 10 mm-hmm. years potentially left in your yeah, life. Five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So they've kind of always known that this was coming. Yeah, which right. made which made the whole, so the whole thing a little more interesting for me as well. So then, uh, sorry, back into the timeline of the movie that's going on. Lee and um, Patrick go to the attorney's office, and first bomb drops of uh, Joe has left custody of Patrick to Lee. Right, dun, and, dun, dun. and Lee's like, no, no, mm. no. Well, he says, I can't. He, he I, says, I can't do this because I I live in a one bedroom in Boston, in Boston, and he and the lawyer's like, well, a I can't I can't believe that. You know that, your that brother, Joe didn't talk to you about didn't this. Didn't explain mm-hmm. this to you. And B, there is you know like uh, moving funds. And moving he's like funds. set everything up. He set everything up so you can do this. You know, it's <laughs> kind of clear to me in this moment how the lawyers sort of talking about it that like Joe's plan, weirdly enough, was probably to try to save yes. Lee. I it, think it was purposely like to save him from his grief to yeah. get we, him out we, of it. And we see that throughout the film, which uh, the one of the, you know like one of the things I really did like about this film was this kind of understated sense that that Joe wants to help Lee out of his funk, which is the funk. Which we find out now. Which is what we're about to find out now. Tell us what the funk is. The funk is, uh, well, Julie. Julie, tell us what the funk is. I just like lost my breath because I just think that scene when he's in the lawyer's office, when it jumps between the lawyer's office and what we find out to be the, the fire that devastates the house and kills all of their children is just so devastating because you watch him go get so much more agitated each moment in that attorney's office as you as the audience also become so terrified because you know the moment that he's walking down that street to leave his house to go to to get whatever he's getting at the he was store. getting beer. Beer and diapers. Um, beer and diapers. Yeah. <laughs> life's Story essentials. Life right now. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know that, that something's coming. You just know that it's all going to go and wrong. And the scene sets it up beforehand. Him and his buddies are all partying in a yeah, basement. the ping pong scene. Yeah, yeah. the ping pong scene. Uh, Michelle Williams walks down and screams at him. Yeah. Uh, and Which, then kicks them all out. And again, then, Michelle Williams had six scenes in this movie, I think. I think I counted. Yeah. And in that one, those six scenes, you're just, she's a fully developed woman and it's yeah. amazing because a human she, being. she comes down those stairs and it's just like everyone knows that woman yeah. everyone's been there yeah exactly uh so uh but you find out that basically and through this i forget if the flashbacks in the when the flashbacks eventually after, after the fire happens uh michelle williams is rescued but the children are not yeah. uh and i forget if you find out the full statement you don't. Uh, when do you find out the statement when at the he's police in the office? police when he's in police you, no I know but is that still this I'm, I know is we're timeline jumping audience yeah is it part of this flashback is he still in the lawyer's office when we are now in the police station oh I can't remember doesn't matter really it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Really matter so yeah. we find out through a flashback he recounts the tale when he was brought in uh, for questioning and he basically 
after all of his friends left, he uh, some people were doing were high. Some people had some coke and they were all drunk. Yeah. And then he lit a fire because the place was cold. And then he didn't put a gate in the fire. He realized he was out of beer and he left to go get beer because he didn't want to drive. He didn't want to drink and drive. Right. Uh, and, and it's this weird, like up down, weird morality shit that happens in this old decision making. And he comes back and the fire has since got out of control, killing all of his children. And obviously, Michelle Williams's character, Randy, uh, Leaves him, and this is sort of what sends him down this path of like, well, now I'm a piece of shit, and I'm going to go off and be so a piece the, of shit somewhere. So the thing that the New York Times article was referring to is this: is that is that confession scene, and this idea of like, because the cops kind of go, well, you've just made a really bad mistake, and you know, like we're gonna that's that's all it it's is. It's not criminal. It's right. not criminal. Mm-hmm. But then he did admit to like having cocaine at the party, and you know, and being drunk. I think, and, and I think the, what and, you're supposed. To, oh, sorry. And, and the problem there is, you know, and and maybe I'm just steeped in this right now because it's part of the narrative of our electoral cycle, and we've just watched the movie Thirteenth, uh, the Abu Duvarni film, and this idea that cocaine isn't criminalized, but crack cocaine was. And this idea that, that, you know, like, oh, we're all, we're all, you know, we all know each other, we're all people, you know, like a little bit of forgiveness is needed here. And that's not something that, that, uh, a minority might feel in that same situation. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Me I don't too. think that. it's, I don't, again, I, I do think that New York times article goes a little too far and that's, and that's out of the fabric of what the film actually is. I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, I, but it is like, but it's, it's hard, true. It's Nonetheless, hard, it's true. It's hard to watch that scene if you're kind of in that mindset and not think about that. Yeah. You know? and, and, I, and of course I didn't think of that because yeah. I'm not a minority. Right. So yeah. well, other than being female, so <laughs> it's interesting that you bring that up because now that you've brought it to me, it's kind of shattered the glass and I'm like, Oh, you're right. Like he, sh- like it's not that if, if, I, he I don't, a, I, if he was a black man, yeah. what would be, I don't, what think, would be the I, don't result? I don't think this film should Ugh. be about like, giving him I, I feel like I, I that's th- that's a criticism it's weird this is an that's odd thing because of, of the of world the, of it's the a world. criticism yes. of the world not necessarily the film because this moment in the film cuz this this is the bottom line in that moment right when the when the cops learned about the drug use and the accidental basically like his all of his children die basically because of his negligence right yeah. yep don't we and this is a weird would, question would you consider Listen, a criminal negligence no this this is what i'm yeah. saying I wouldn't. wouldn't wouldn't you want to live in a world where not only just the white guy gets this, but like yeah. everybody gets this of course, level of thing? Of course. So by right. that argument, I don't like. Yes, I don't think the world is like that. I think the world is incredibly unfair, and that's a topic for a whole other thing. So because I would want everyone to be treated like that, and they're not treat there, the movie's not commenting on the racial divide of this moment. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like that criticism has weight here. We can think about it outside yes. of the context, right. but I, I don't think that affects the think, movie one way or the other. I don't think that other. scene should carry the, the whole weight of no, that. No, no. I agree. Right. I agree. And I, the, like I said, point, I don't think the New York Times article, I think the New York Times review goes too far. It's unfair. It's yeah. unfair to the film. But uh, I think the point of that scene is also you're supposed to realize that this could happen to anyone. Right. Right. I think that's, that's what they were trying it's a, to do. It, right. It's just the addition of cocaine that kind yeah. of yeah, makes but that. How, but how many people truly in this world do cocaine? A lot. Like right. it, it's just people don't talk no, about it. No, but. but I guess I guess the what the thing is 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 does the addition of cocaine make it criminal negligence? Because he's I taken. don't think so. Because I think uh, well he okay. never said he was doing cocaine. He said cocaine was there. Yeah. Right. Anyway, we're talking. We, we're running out of time. We're almost over an hour. I want to get through this stuff. Uh, the funeral happens beforehand. Well, Randy calls what? Well, just before that, I think the most devastating scene happens right there in the in Ugh. the police office uh, when he in, grabs the gun. When he grabs the gun. Oh, he tries to kill himself again. Yeah. 
Just something that if he was a minority might go down entirely differently. Just saying that. Yep, just putting fair, that out there. Fair. Um, 100% fair, but 100% the same sort of thing that yeah. I bring up for the last bit. But that right. scene was like, it was the same reaction I would have to a horror movie. Like, yeah. it was like, <gasps> right, like yeah. oh God. And then you realize that it's, of course, it doesn't, he doesn't succeed. Yeah. But the fact that he wanted to is the devastating part. Right. Right. So, uh, funeral happens. Uh, beforehand, Randy calls and asks if she can go because apparently Randy stayed in touch with Joe. Uh, and, you know, he says, Lee says that's fine, but I'll also, she lets him know that he's uh, she's pregnant, and once we meet the the husband, we meet poor man's Edward Snowden at the funeral. <laughs> uh, they he, she's pregnant, and the funeral happens, and you know it's still it's just awkward and weird, and mm-hmm. their relationship is just it's you know it's the way it should be at this point, I guess. Not that should be, that it is. Um, then, meanwhile, Patrick has been emailing his absentee uh, and possibly alcoholic slash psychotic mother, uh, and they arrange Gretchen a sort Mull of- as yeah. well, which we haven't, who we haven't seen Gretchen Mull in a I know. while. Yeah. Uh, and they arrange a visit with her new husband in Connecticut. Also, all the while, Patrick uh, and Lee are having an interaction where Lee's sort of like half parenting, like he's <laughs> like not quite parenting, and like he's realizing he's he's sleeping with two different girls, like one girl he's in a band with. Side note, I tried so fucking hard to get the band- Stenographers? Uh, uh, no, no, it was- um, What was it? Uh, Stenog- oh, I found it earlier. Earlier. Ske- ske- skenen, skenen, no- oh, stent, stentorian. 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 Uh, I tried finding that music so hard for the beginning and end of this. It is nowhere. Really? I want to run, 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 yeah. run, run. Yeah. And, and like, I was just like, oh, fuck. Anyway. Um, so the, it, there was, I think there's an interesting thing there, which is that you're not sure if Patrick, the son, is taking advantage of his father's death. You know, like I, that's the thing I thought was really interesting is like, because he says to... He says to Lee, hey, uh, I'm going to have some, pe-, you know, like as soon as they come back from the the morgue, hey, do you mind if I have some people over and do you mind if we have some pizza? And I'm like, are you really grieving at this moment or are you just kind of like manipulating the new position? Yeah, basically yep. it's like, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, my dad would kind of let me have this girl over. So just but then he says something like, but her parents don't let her sleep in my room when she's here. So don't let them know. So I was like. Are you just actually taking it? And that's I think a-, a little bit, but not much, because when the first girl that he has over comes downstairs the next morning, she acts like she's been there, like she's lived there. Like right, it's clear she, that the she true. opens the fridge, she grabs a fucking yogurt. She's always she's having this, breakfast there. Yeah, yeah, it felt very like this is this is what happened. That but, scene made me laugh out loud. Right, I like especially because the eye level he's at is with her boobs, which yeah. I thought was very uh, interesting. Which yeah. I don't know if you guys noticed. No. I did notice, but he's the on the phone with like the viewer home, and he's like looking at her, and <laughs> she's just like barely clothed, and she's annoying. And, <laughs> the whole thing is just brilliant. Well, she, she, I mean, she kind of crosses that familial boundary, which is that she's an outsider to this unit, even though the new unit is newly formed. But she kind of says something like, excuse me, I don't think Patrick needs to yeah. hear this right she's now. She's controlling it. And it's like, it, that's the kind of thing that like, in my family, <laughs> you'd be get the fuck out of this yeah. moment. Right. You know what I mean? Your like, opinion does not matter right, right now. Exactly. Right, 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 right. Um, so, uh, so that's all happening with Patrick. Uh, I, I think and, that relationship with Patrick is really interesting in terms of like, mm-hmm. yeah, where and the, the the rest of the movie is actually about like, will Lee stay and look at and take yeah. Patrick? It's right. The foundation right. of like the plot. Yeah, right? sure. It's, it's, it's what the rest of the film is about. And again, and I, I guess my problem here is that I felt like the stakes of that of that storyline weren't very high for me. Like it didn't feel like and, and they, they resolve in a way that I think is true to the story and true right. to real life right but but they're not particularly the stakes are high because of the next bit the next bit is so the only other real person that could legally take Patrick is Patrick's mother. She's been MIA except for a couple emails. They arranged this meeting in Connecticut. She's apparently cleaned up her life and blah blah blah. We go meet her and her husband Matthew Broderick uh, and he goes and has a very Can awkward I correct you? I dinner. think it's Essex. 
Mm-hmm. I think she was in Connecticut a year uh, ago, yeah, and yeah. then she then moves back to Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. So Same. they. Yeah, that's right. she's, she's found God. She's found God. Yes. She's yeah. born. I think she's. I think they're born again. Something I don't like know. That. Um, who can and say? who can say? Um, and it's again, it, they, they have a, it's, it's not a bad meeting, but like, there's just an undercurrent of like, things are not good here. Yeah. This is not going to work out. Yeah. yeah. And then he comes back uh, and he's dri- at least driving Patrick back. And he's like, you can tell that now that's sort of shattered in Patrick's head. He's like, oh, this isn't, that's not what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no one else really to watch him. So no. th- at this point in the movie, things get better for a minute. Like th- there's another argument about the boat. Lee says they have to sell the boat. Patrick doesn't want to cause it's his boat. Uh, technically, or when, you know, the trust or whoever the law works. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to cost too much money. They don't have it. Da, da 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 Which is all sort of very true. But they find like a set of old guns in a thing, and they sell but, the you guns. Know, you, you see what I'm saying is like like the major problem is 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 what's going to happen to Patrick. I know. And the and the resolve for that is kind of incidental. And I, and I I I. Well, I've no, seen no. many movies this where is, where where plot lines are incidental to the emotional through line, mm-hmm. but, but and the character development and this the is, character mm-hmm. development. But the but the emotional through line here kind of takes a very still line. You know, like it's a very the difference is line. here's the thing. It's not what's going to happen to Patrick because Patrick is set up in this movie as he's going he's grieving and there's moments where he breaks down. He's going to be fine. He's 16 or 17 at this point or whatever it is. Yep. He's he's almost an adult. He will be fine. He could technically go anywhere and not really change or like really hurt himself. And he'll be fine. It's what's going to happen to Lee. Will Lee let this situation help him up from the fucking dredges of where he is? Right. That's that's the that's the that's the stakes. Patrick's fine. So I I mean, I don't I, I think the question there is like, will Lee like basically step up to help Pat- like can Lee it's can not no 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 it's not him can- stepping up to help no, Patrick no, but, but, but it's ha- stepping up to better to, to change his fucking whole existence let's say but can it- he get past his grief right yeah. can he get past his grief and also can he get past his grief to adopt another son like his his whole and family also his move child- home to yeah. this town that, that everyone fucking hates him. hates him and it haunts him he yeah. can't he he's in there's this a, town and he all he feels is the weight of his children there's death. a beautiful scene and and i know we're getting close to the end here but there are some of the things that i really love in this movie I, is the way that it's understated so there's a scene where he goes back home and he and he brings back some of his stuff and there's three picture frames yep. we don't need yes. to see what the picture frames are and the film doesn't ever show us what those picture frames are but we know, we know. characters look at them we, yeah. we know exactly we know what he's feeling that and, moment in the bedroom where he, right before he smashes his hand through the window and is looked, one of the best scenes in the and, movie and because what he's looking at is this empty space out by the water and we we can probably infer that that's where his house was yeah or he's looking at his and he can't stay in this place because yep. that's that's the memory that's going to haunt and him and he forever. punches the windows because he realizes he'll, he'll never be able to live yeah. in this yeah. place and there's yeah. an interesting scene too where Lee and Patrick are clashing and Lee says that they're he'll, he'll take he'll take Patrick but they're moving to Boston yeah. like he'll mm-hmm. get a place and and Patrick's like I Patrick's like you know I don't want to leave my school my friends my two girlfriends the hockey team <laughs> or the band all. and he's like what are you you're a janitor in fucking Quincy yeah, yeah. Well, you can be a janitor anywhere but Patrick's like, not getting like well hunting you could be a janitor anywhere yep. yeah. See, that's what I'm saying this is back. the sick <laughs> yeah. in the trilogy yeah. <laughs> so like Patrick doesn't quite get that I mean and I don't know if he even is necessarily should because he's dealing with the death of his own father Yada yada yada. So uh, basically, as things start to go downhill, I don't. What, does does Lee run into Randy first, or does Lee get drunk first? No, he so, runs into Randy, and so, then he gets. But drunk. What happens is, is there's this beautiful like up moment where they've solved the boat problem. Yes. By by selling the, the guns, guns and, and they like, get an engine and they're going to rent out. Yeah, the boat. they're going to rent. And it's moving a, forward, and, and it's you're feeling satisfied day. as it's a viewer. A good day. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then Randy comes, fucks it all up, fucks it all up. 
Well, that scene though, oh, it's a really I need to good, hold on to the desk. People. It's a really, really good scene. And, and what I love about what, this scene what happens is, 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 um, uh, Lee runs into Patrick, uh, into Randy with her, with her uh, new son. And she basically breaks down in front of him and says, you know, look, I'm sorry for everything that happened. I've said things that I shouldn't have said. Um, I should burn in hell for the things I've said. And, and what I love about this scene is the way in which Lee wants to like, you know, like he's basically being given an olive branch. He's basically being offered forgiveness for, for the weight that he's carrying. And he says this line, which is so beautiful at the end. He says, and he's deflecting her the whole time. And he says this line at the end, there's just nothing there. Yep. There's nothing, you know, you c- that's the, that's the moment. That's like yeah. the whole movie. Yeah. Right. Because she wants there. to have lunch. She says she loves him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and she says, and she says, I know your heart's broken too. Yeah. But, and he's like, you don't understand. It's not. There's nothing it, there. I have no heart anymore. Yep. There's mm-hmm. nothing where there once was a heart. There's not, there's, I don't have a heart for you. I don't have a heart for Patrick. I don't have a heart anymore. It's all gone. Right. And that's, I think, again, that is the beautiful note about grief that this film has. It is just, my problem is, is that it is just the one note for right. me. I think it explores, an, and you're right, it is one note, but I think it takes that note and explores it so intricately and, and sort of the depths and different crevices of the way people deal with things like this and the way grief affects families, individuals, etc. So, like, I think if they had other notes, yeah. you wouldn't have the time to look as deep and as clearly into these crevices, which in a lot of movies, when someone's grieving, you don't deal with any of this shit. Yeah. Like, it's just very... I, that, that, I, I'm not saying the yeah. film isn't true and it isn't realistic. I just say, for me as a movie experience, I was somewhat unmoved by the time we got to the end. Not that the scenes can, weren't good. Can I argue that I think I've heard this before mm. that they're like the plot didn't actually resolve. It didn't go anywhere, right? And no, maybe you it, don't say you don't think that. No, but I've heard did, that. It did resolve. It's just and I and and I'm also one for films that resolve in un, unexpected ways. Because that's what I was going to argue is that maybe there's a feeling that the plot isn't what you wanted because you're not satisfied by the ending. Because obviously we all are fighting yeah. as the audience to, to to hope that he can stay and take care of of Patrick. And right. when he doesn't, it almost feels like, well, why did I just go through all that? He offers, he's offers and all he offers Patrick an olive branch at the end. So the, the final resolution is that he does find another guardian for Patrick. Right. Um, Patrick's going to be okay. Jo- was it George? George. Oh, George. George. Yeah. And then, and you know, and then, but then he kind of like offers like, I'm looking for, a, uh, Lee says, I'm looking for a new apartment, one with an extra bedroom. And he's like, what are you, you going to look for an extra bedroom for? I don't know. So maybe you could come and stay. He says, well, what am I going to do in Boston? He, he says, you can come looking for colleges. Like, goes, I'm, I'm not going to college. I'm yeah. not going to college. I'll well, just have another room for all my fucking stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which we know is literally one box. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it is a lovely visual scene. It just didn't impact me. So, so you know, we talked about Moonlight earlier this year, and the, the ending of Moonlight is is very is is similar, which is that we're not sure what the resolution is. It's a very slight scene, but the ending of Moonlight really hit me like a ton of bricks because it it felt like the culmination of the entire film. I felt that this was it ended and it was right and true, but it didn't like. It didn't I th- move me. I and think I there's like two different. Move I think there's two different sort of styles of filmmaking at play there. One is is Moonlight is this beautiful, just intricate thing that like leads up to this one fucking moment, and you're like, ah, yeah. and it's it's wonderful. This is a movie that uh, I'm sorry, Manchester by the Sea is a movie that sort of with all of its ups and downs feels less narrative, quote unquote, to mm-hmm. a point, and then ends in the way. Even going back to the way you said, like. 
Argo, you were watching and you're like, well, this doesn't feel realistic, right? Yeah, yeah. This ends in the most realistic way possible where it's like a tiny concession, but things just go back to the way they are. Almost the point where you feel like nothing really happened. Yeah. yeah. And that's and what and, this and movie I is think, saying, I think, honestly, is that like life doesn't wait for your shit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like it's not about you. Yeah. And it but sings can we say it that sing in, songy. In Moonlight and in this movie, I think that they it's both about people who are holding in these emotions, right? Like mm -hmm. that there's they're ready to explode at mm -hmm. any moment. And yeah. it's different emotions and it's different, you know, yeah. secrets if you want to call it that. Secrets. Yeah. But I also read that Casey Affleck was when he was preparing this, he and Kenneth Lonergan talked about the fact that he as a human, he was a dam, right? And there was all these little holes that were yeah. forming in that dam as he goes back to his hometown and like all the emotions come to the surface and he's trying to plug those holes. Yeah, he yeah. actually tells Patrick, he's like, I just can't beat it, right? Is that yeah, what he said? Yeah, that's what he's, and, and it's because, and all those holes are being like Michelle Williams in that street scene is, is yeah, she's poking holes in that and it's, he's leaking and he just wants to hold it all in and that moment he lets it out for a little bit, you yeah. know, it makes yeah. the dam break, right? The flood the floodgates open. Yep. But he just doesn't want to live in that space. He yeah. can't, he has to hold it in. That's the only way he's going to survive. Yeah. The, that, well, the thing that I was going to compare to a little bit was, uh, was the Paul Thomas Anderson film, The master where I think um, Joaquin Phoenix in that film is just unbelievable. It's kind of in a similar way, which is that he's, he's, he's holding all the stuff in and it, and the first viewing of the, the master kind of left me a little cold, but it was upon subsequent viewing that I kind of like, entered the space well, see, of that, that movie. movie had too much plot right so that's why yeah. you, it was it was like all this stuff being thrown at you religion so Manchester <laughs> I, I'm uh, this will probably be my final final thought, thought sentence which is that I it didn't quite work for me on this first viewing I am curious to review it and see it again but I did it did leave me a little cold um I'm curious to watch it again I know a lot of people love this movie I do think it's well constructed um, I think there are lots of interesting things in this movie and it's beautifully written and I'm a big fan of Kenneth Lonergan but but Upon this first viewing, it left me a little cold, and I and I feel a little like maybe the Emperor's New Clothes a little bit with the, with the massive amount of hype that's going behind this film. Um, well, but maybe that'll change on a second viewing. Fun fact: I didn't know there was any hype for this film before. I walked into this thing totally cold. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about the praise. I didn't look at it at all. I didn't look at a trailer. I was basically like Monk Shahir over here, not knowing shit about shit. And I walked out of that thing like I fucking love this movie. It's great. Uh, mm -hmm. It had a wonderful ending. The score was great. The cinematography was awesome. The way they cut together the scenes was really, really, uh, it felt current and fresh. And uh, it, yeah, I'd say it was wicked fucking pissa. Uh, Julie. Uh, my final thoughts is that I really like to be in sad movies, I think. Like everyone's talking. <laughs> I love hey, those worlds. My people. My people in yeah, here. Yeah, like it's, it's the world I want to live in for whatever reason. And I guess people, grief. yeah, people are talking about, because it feels real and I love things that feel real. And people are talking about escapist movies right now because of, you know, mm. the world we live in because 2016 is terrible. But um, I don't really believe that. I think no. I want to go see movies that I can feel like I know this world and I would be, I would be a part of this world. So yeah. uh, that's my final thought is that I don't want escapist films. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, this has been a wonderful episode and the only episode, the only podcast about Manchester by the Sea. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for coming. Yay, thank thanks, you. guys. Where, where can folks find you when you're not living out every character's sadness? Um, I'm on all social media, uh, all Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram, and it's always my full name because it's a, a good name, I think. So it's Julie Lillaby. Okay. How do you yeah. spell it? Just so yeah, I always spell it L-I-L-L-E, B as in boy. Why? Because everyone thinks it's v. why because we like you yeah oh that's sweet <laughs> and and there. now it's time to say goodbye to Shahir, what about you company. what about you buddy where are you at s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d dot com that's where you can find me 
Okay. <laughs> I don't have a website. Should I have a website? You should. Well, I have MatthewCurl.com as well. Also, Damn Emperor it. MSK on Twitter and Skeletor, the number four PREZ. I'm not as all, on, that's on Instagram, all on, you know, I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm not one with myself. I have many you different. You actually are, though. Like, you can you get all that one. stuff on your website. It is on the website. Yeah. So, so But it's a website. spider web. It's a cacophony of nightmare. You have, um, you have different names. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. In different aliases and certain wanted <laughs> levels. Um, Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for listening. This has been super fun. Please check out, uh, send us uh, what you think of it on OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on our Twitter. It's OnlyMoviePod. Hit us up on Facebook, which we are there all the time dropping things. I just, I'm just i going to post a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 stuff because the new trailer just dropped and it. It's fucking dope. Yeah, so that's about it. All right. Um, it's been real, guys. It's been real. It's, it's been it's, fun. It's been too real. It's, it's been, been too real. It's never too real, Shahir. <laughs> too fast, too real. Tokyo, real. Uh, I gotta go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.